This is a Triple J podcast. Hack. Hey, it's Dave Marchese. Welcome to the Hack Podcast. Are you fascinated by the story of the Titanic? Because if you are, you're going to know about a massive thing that happened this week. The first full-sized scans of the wreck have been made, revealing the ship in incredible detail. But after so many books and movies, really, what more could we learn about the sinking of the Titanic? Well, in a bit, we've got an expert on. And if you are into this, you're going to love it. So keep listening. It's so interesting. Later, should you tell your boss about your mental illness? It's a big question a lot of people ask. Is it a good idea? We're going to be unpacking this. First, though. Hack your suspicions about the existence of political interference to prevent the case properly going ahead. We're mistaken. I do accept that. Thank you. On Triple Jack. Yeah, you would have been hearing about a big inquiry underway in the ACT. It's looking at how the case against Bruce Lamon for the alleged rape of Brittany Higgins at Parliament House was handled by criminal justice agencies. You'll remember last year, the jury in the trial was discharged after it was revealed a juror had brought material into the jury room that hadn't been provided as evidence during the trial. Bruce Lemon has maintained his innocence. There have been no findings against him and the trial was abandoned. So what's been happening at this inquiry? Let's find out. ABC reporter Patrick Bell's been covering it. He's with us now. G'day, Pat. Thanks for coming on Hack. Hi, Dave. How's it going? Yeah, well, thank you. Really interested in what's been happening here, what this board of inquiry is, because people would have been seeing a lot of it in the headlines, but may not have been keeping up with all of the evidence that's been heard, all of the developments. Can you explain what the board of inquiry is? Like, it's not a criminal court case, is it? No, it's not a rerun of the trial. It's basically a royal commission. And so if you think about the powers that a royal commission has, it can compel all sorts of evidence. And uh, if you're asked to uh, provide uh, evidence uh, in in person at a royal commission, you basically have to do it. And that is effectively uh, a, a very similar model here. It's almost the territory's equivalent of a royal commission and it's been sitting for the last week and a half or so and looking like uh, we'll have another few weeks of evidence yet. So what sort of evidence have we heard so far? What have been some of the big moments? So the the bulk of what we heard last week was from the DPP, the, the chief prosecutor in the ACT, Shane Drumgold. Now, he was the, the lead prosecutor in the Lehman case, uh, and we should say that Bruce Lehman maintains his innocence and there are no findings against him. So uh, Shane Drumgold was the, the person tasked effectively with trying to secure a, a, a guilty verdict. Uh, but he also, after the trial, uh, wrote a, a pretty scathing letter to the chief of police in the ACT and made all sorts of, of claims that uh, police had acted uh, potentially improperly and that there might have also been some political interference uh, in the case. And so that's why we're having this inquiry in, in large part to try and figure out if any of that was true. Uh, and he was on the witness stand all week last week, all five days, and it was a pretty gruelling experience for him. Uh, a couple of the main takeaways from that that haven't necessarily reflected very well on him, uh, he actually conceded last week he no longer suspects there was any political interference. He had thought that there might have been some sort of 
conspiracy, I guess, between uh, politicians in the in the Liberal Party, the police, uh, and the defence lawyers to kind of make this go away and and try and make sure that uh, either it didn't go to a trial or or that there was a, a, a verdict of of not guilty. Uh, but he's conceded that he actually thinks a lot of the the issues in the case were just because uh, there were some mistakes made that weren't really poorly intentioned. It wasn't a conspiracy. The other thing he said that was really damaging was uh, there, there was an issue with some of the evidence being given to the defence, which included some notes from counselling sessions that Brittany Higgins had had after the alleged offence. And Shane Drumgold had to admit that he also looked at those notes, even though he wasn't supposed to, to try and figure out what the defence knew and might have had information they shouldn't have had, had access to. So uh, not necessarily reflecting well on him. That's that's not something he should have done and he conceded as much that he it was wrong for him to probably look at those. Yeah, that's really interesting. There's also been a lot of criticism of some journalists' coverage of the case. Has there been much evidence about that as well? Yeah, the main person who's come up in the evidence so far is Lisa Wilkinson. Now, she did uh, an interview with Brittany Higgins way back in uh, early 2021. That's when the story first emerged. Uh, And she also uh, spoke at the Logie Awards shortly before the trial was meant to start last year and gave a speech which ultimately led to a delay in the trial and and lawyers for Bruce Lehrman thought that that had brought up a bit more publicity and he mightn't be able to get a fair trial uh, given all of that. But the, the DPP was asked about the advice that he did or didn't give to Lisa Wilkinson about what she should or shouldn't say in that speech, uh, and he had to accept that uh, he probably should have given her a clearer direction not to give it, rather than uh, just saying, you know, if there's any publicity, it could uh, lead to a delay. He said he should have um, been much clearer and saying, I really don't think you should say anything at all. You're listening to Hack. I'm Dave Marchese speaking with ABC reporter Patrick Bell about this board of inquiry into the Bruce Lamon case. Pat's been covering this for the ABC. Uh, Pat, how long is this inquiry going to go for? You said we've heard kind of a week and a half worth of evidence so far. Is it going to go much longer? Yeah, still about three weeks to go, Dave. Um, it'll start back with public hearings next Monday and that's when we expect that attention will turn to the police and and their actions in all of this because the first seven days of evidence was looking at the the Director of Public Prosecutions um, but looking like uh, we'll hear a bit more about police's actions and whether there might have been anything police did that uh, wasn't what they should have done in any sort of wrongdoing or or, or, uh, even just mistakes that they'd made. Uh, We'll hear a bit about that uh, next week. And then what happens? Are there findings that are handed down? Is that kind of expected much further down the track? What's the what's the path from here? Yeah, the timeline is that the man leading this inquiry, Walter Sofronoff, who is a former Queensland judge, he has until the 31st of July to write his report and deliver it to the ACT government. It'll then go through Cabinet and other government processes and at some point thereafter we will uh, hear what those findings are and and presumably a report will be released uh, and then we'll know ultimately what this inquiry has, has uncovered. 
There's also news out today, Pat, that the ACT's Director of Public Prosecutions has been temporarily replaced. What do we know about this? Yeah, so Shane Drumgold has taken leave for four weeks. It seems like the expectation is that he will come back to his job in sort of mid-June when that leave wraps up. But his role obviously was really heavily scrutinised over the last several days and and through all of last week with his evidence to the inquiry. So it's understandable that he might want to take a bit of time out. So we'll wait to see uh, if, in fact, he does come back to his role in a few weeks and uh, continue as the lead prosecutor in the ACT. His deputy, though, is um, looking after things in the meantime. We appreciate that update. ABC reporter Patrick Bell, thanks very much for coming on Hack. Cheers, no worries. And we'll keep you up to date with all the developments in that case. We'll check in again with that inquiry. And if you want to catch Pat's coverage, it's all over the ABC. He's written a lot of big articles that break it all down, really explain the day-by-day evidence. You can check out those on the ABC News website. Hack. Thanks to movies, people often think the Titanic was just a victim of plain old bad luck. There wasn't just one iceberg, there were hundreds. On Triple Jack. You know, when it comes to dramatic stories of history, there are not many that capture the world's attention like the sinking of the Titanic. Think about it. It's got everything. The ship they said was unsinkable. The biggest, most luxurious ship of its time. The biggest moving object ever built. It sinks on its first voyage after hitting an iceberg. There weren't enough lifeboats. More than 1,500 people died in 1912. The Titanic was also a bit of a microcosm of society at the time, like the class system. Some of the richest people in the world were in first class, some of the poorest were in third class, and they were all fighting for survival. And of course, most of us have seen the movie with Leonardo DiCaprio, Kate Winslet, but a lot of people, that draws them in, and then they're fascinated by the real history. Something really huge happened in the Titanic world this week, deep sea mappers released an amazing 3D scan of the shipwreck, which lies thousands of metres under the North Atlantic Ocean. You can only get there with special submarines. And experts say this incredible model is a game changer. Why? What more could we learn? Well, let's find out. There are a lot of people who are fascinated with the Titanic disaster. As you can tell, I'm a bit excited. Maybe I'm one of them as well. But someone who knows more than most is Mike Brady. His YouTube and TikTok videos get millions of views. His models and illustrations are so detailed that some of them are actually in museums. And lucky for us, Mike's an Aussie and he's with me right now. G'day, Mike Brady. Thanks for coming on Hack. Thanks so much for having me. I want to get into your work in a minute, but first, can you explain what these scans of the Titanic wreck are and why Mm. they're so important? Really exciting times. So like you said, the wreck is so deep in the North Atlantic Ocean. It's about 13,000 feet, three kilometres down. The pressure is crushing. And when submarines traditionally have gone down to the wreck and filmed, the cameras are, are very limited. They can only be fitted inside, put inside these tiny little watertight capsules. The issue with that is you can only then develop small photographs of parts of the wreck. So if you've ever seen a photograph of the Titanic wreck, it's really just a mosaic of hundreds and sometimes thousands of photographs, individual pictures that have been stitched together. But now, for the first time, because of this uh, process, it's called photogrammetry, they've taken thousands and thousands of individual pictures that have now been assembled into a accurate 3D model of the ship's wreck so that instead of relying on a, a kind of like an artist's 
approach to stitching together uh, images on a computer to create a just a picture. Now we've actually got a 3D model that shows Titanic exactly as it is, and that's really important because it removes a lot of speculation and really shows us what exactly happened to the ship on the night that it, that it sank. Yeah, I was going to ask, what can these scans tell us about the wreck and the disaster that we don't know already? Yeah, I mean, people often say, you know, look, get over it, the Titanic sank 110 years ago, what more can we, can we learn and why would we even be interested in the first place? The historical record is really important. I'm just sure you're familiar with the concept of fake news and misinformation that have been spread over the last, uh, you know, five, ten years on the internet. And um, it's really easy for incorrect ideas and, and notions about history to kind of like spread like wildfire online, especially a lot of conspiracy theories that are really not founded in reality. They paint inaccurate pictures of, of pretty decent, hardworking people from the era who, by bringing Titanic so vividly back to life in this way and in such an accurate way, it, it removes any speculation. It sets the historical record straight. I'm sure you're familiar with the idea of this um, ridiculous switch theory that the sinking of the Titanic was a was an intentional insurance fraud. This is interesting, and some people mm. may not be familiar with this uh, conspiracy theory, right? But basically, it's called the switch theory. Uh, the idea is the Titanic never actually sank. It was her almost identical twin sister ship, the Olympic, and it was this insurance con job. Can you explain a bit more what the switch theory is? Yeah, I mean, it's it's ridiculous, and it's just one of those things that uh, without the, the context or the, the actual historical knowledge and backing, you might be persuaded to believe it. Um, the Titanic and the Olympic were built side by side, but it was actually the Olympic that sailed first, that was completed first. So by the time Titanic came along, she was very much the, the second child, like uh, Olympic had really gone and done it all before, kind of. So the two ships are very visually similar. Olympic was involved in a collision that damaged the ship badly and it had to um, go in for repairs and actually interrupted Titanic's construction and delayed it by a few months. The theory goes that the Olympic was so badly damaged that it would be cheaper for the White Star Line to collect the owners of the Titanic, the White Star Line, to sink the ship on purpose and collect on the insurance money. So oh, what they did was wild, they swapped the wild names. claim. <laughs> wild claim, um, of course, it makes no sense. There are many, many reasons why it makes no sense, notably the fact that the ships were always heavily, heavily underinsured. They were also extremely different to the untrained eye, and you might look at them and say, oh, they, you know, they look the same, they're virtually the same ship. There are actually a lot of differences. And so we can look at the wreck in such detail now that you can very, very clearly see that this is actually the Titanic. Well, yeah, and I mean, the scans themselves are so accurate that you can see on one of the propeller blades of the Titanic wreck the serial number, and that's what people are saying. Oh, well, we can see the serial number. That was the Titanic's serial number. It was not the Olympic, its sister ship serial number, so that puts that to bed, although I don't know. There's a lot of conspiracy theorists out there. I think it might continue <laughs> for a while. The discovery of the wreck itself also uh, was a way of firming up some um, some facts around the sinking, right? Because for a long time, people didn't believe that the ship had split in two when when it sank, right? And it was the discovery of the wreck that really cemented that idea. Well, this was really interesting, and this isn't conspiracy, that the um, fact the Titanic broke in half so violently during the sinking, we've all seen it in the movie and it looks really dramatic, most survivors actually saw it break in half, but um, it was not in the, the, you know, the British Admiralty and the company and the builder's best interest to admit that the very latest thing in British shipbuilding in 1912 
had not only hit an iceberg and sank, but in the process of sinking, broken dramatically in half was not a good look. So at the inquiries, a lot of these officers and people giving testimony who were more senior painted a little bit of a different picture and, and maintained that it sank in one piece. Better optics for the company. This went on for years to the point that by the 1980s, just before the Titanic was found, um, there were conferences being given and survivors getting up and talking about what they saw. They were all elderly at this point and there was one in particular, this poor lady got up and said, I saw the ship break in half, I saw it, and they cut her microphone off and this guy who was running the event ran up and grabbed the mic and said, hey, you know, this is not the official position of the, uh, you know, the Titanic Historical Society and so on and so on. And then just a year or two later, they found it in two pieces separated by over two and a half kilometres on the bottom of the seafloor. So, again, correcting the historical record, you know, if we hadn't found the Titanic, we would have thought it sank in one piece and that these people who had been rattling on about it breaking in half had been seeing things. But it actually vindicates these people. You're listening to Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with Titanic expert Mike Brady about these incredible new scans that have been made of the Titanic wreck. You might have seen pictures of them online on social media. Mike, you've got millions of views on YouTube, TikTok. Um, I loved the TikTok you did explaining how the toilets worked on the Titanic. (laughs) That went off. People were enthralled by how the sewerage was disposed of uh, on this luxury ship. How have you found the response on social media, on sites like YouTube and TikTok? A little bit surprising, but also not, because I often think about this and people say, oh, you know, what you do is so niche, you know, I, don't, I can't believe you have this kind of following. But it's definitely the kind of subject, we've all seen the movie, we all, you know, love the movie or hate it, whatever, we've all seen it. If you get home at the end of the day and there's a video that pops up that says, why did Titanic have three steering wheels? You don't have to be a Titanic nerd to think, well, hang on, did it have three steering wheels? Why did it have three steering wheels? So... The, the following has been really interesting because it's not really necessarily nerds or boffins like me who are just interested in this. I mean, it's everybody, and that's part of the Titanic's enduring legacy is that now it's just, it's just outside living memory, but it's close enough that it's got a little bit of the ethereal kind of eerie feeling of nostalgia. You watch the movie and the, the beautiful music and the way the people dress, it's very evocative and romantic and a little bit foreign, but then also extremely familiar, the idea that this ship is lit with electric lights, that there were electric call buttons. You could call a steward. It had a telephone system. There was a phone exchange system on board. It was really, really modern. And 1912 was equally a long time ago, but also not that long ago. So I think it kind of hits this middle ground. And then as soon as you get the ship sinking, dramas that played out over this two and a half hours of the ship slowly settling into the water is really so captivating. So there's a lot of different elements to the story. If you're a technological nerd like I am, you'll be really drawn into how it was built and how it sank. But if you're a a humanist and you're interested in what happened to the people on board, you could read for years about the 2,200 people who were on board and and what happened to them. So yeah, for the the millions of people watching, I can can get it because again, I've I've just been obsessed with it since I was about three years old. And my parents can um, testify to that fact. Is there one thing about the Titanic that blows you away every time? Is there one fact that you've learned or uh, just one piece of information that always really astounds people? It's a hard question, sorry. That's a good question. You've caught me out on that one. Um, there's a lot. I think the um, the engineers, I guess. So I, even though I am fascinated by the, the rivets and the way it was built, it's the those human stories that are really fascinating to me. And there are a lot of examples of bravery on the night the Titanic sank, but... For me, 
it's these engineers. They're, they're in the bottom of the ship. The Titanic's engines were three stories tall. These guys were masters in their field. They'd been training on smaller ships for years. The chief engineer, Joseph Bell, had been at sea for you know, a couple decades and had worked his way up. You imagine how proud these people must have been of their machines. And on the night of the sinking, as soon as they found out there had been a problem, they just immediately got to work pumping water around the ship, making sure it stayed on an even keel, keeping boilers burning so that the steam-generating electrical dynamos would power the lights. And the lights stayed on until the moment the Titanic broke in half and not a single one of the electricians or engineers survived the sinking wow. because they knew it was their duty to keep the lights burning and keep the ship stable so it didn't roll over and get everybody off the ship. Um, they did their best and they died with their machines that they were so proud of. It's heartbreaking, but it's also a, ma- a remarkable story about these these real heroes who've been remembered with memorials and things, but you often wonder about what you would do on that night, and I think that's what is part of the enduring legacy. I've, I often wonder, would I have been brave enough to stay in the bottom of a sinking ship so that other people could could get away? So I think that if that doesn't blow anybody else's mind, it certainly blows me away every time I think about it. It's an incredible story, very poignant, and um, we appreciate your immense knowledge on this topic. I feel like uh, we could speak for another hour, Mike, but we don't have time. It's been brilliant chatting to you, Mike Brady. Well done on your huge success, and thanks very much for speaking with us on Hack. Brilliant. Thanks so much for having me. And if you want to see more of Mike's work, you can check it out on Ocean Liner Designs. He's on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram as well. Amazing stuff being done by young people. Like there's another big project out there where they're putting together this video game and you can walk through the ship. They've recreated it in amazing detail. We've got messages on the text line. Someone says, great to hear from Mike Brady. Love his YouTube channel and his artwork. Another person, hi, Dave. I'm a ship captain and one of our current guiding conventions comes directly from the Titanic. That was from Leroy in Brisbane. Rick has called up. G'day, Rick. Are you a big fan of Titanic, the movie, the history? G'day. Uh, yeah, huge fan of the movie. I think why the event is so popular is because of the movie. It's just, yeah, James Cameron is a genius, as well as obviously uh, Leo and uh, Kate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the movie itself, like you think it was made all those years ago, special effects are crazy, right? Like you can watch it now and it, it feels so realistic. Um, a lot of people, sure. Rick, um, agree with you and are probably wanting to know whether you think Jack could have fit on the door. <laughs> I think people are maybe like clutching at straws. I don't know how much of a big deal it is. Like yeah. I saw the thing on socials that um, James Cameron tested it himself. I reckon they maybe both would have sang if he jumped on there. Maybe not. I don't know. Hey, look, there are going to be a lot more videos made about that on YouTube. Um, Rick, thanks for calling in. Time to move on. Hack. Creating a mentally healthy workplace has officially just become a non-negotiable. On Triple Jack. Hey, how honest are you with your boss? Do you tell them much about your life? What's going on? If you're feeling depressed, anxious, maybe you're the opposite. You feel like you've got to hide it. How much stigma is there still around mental health and mental illness? Enough to make you wonder whether being honest might stop you from getting a promotion or being taken seriously. If you've had these big conversations with your boss, I want to know, how did it go? Good experiences, bad ones. Message in 0439757555. There's actually been a bit of research into this and one of the people looking into it is Dr Elizabeth Stratton. She's a research fellow at the University of Sydney 
and she's with me now. Elizabeth, welcome to Hack. Yeah, thanks for having me. Why did you decide to look into this? Yeah, sure. There's uh, a really growing need, uh, a push about 10 years ago, to uh, a, a push for knowledge of um, mental health in the workplace. Uh, that came along with a lot of celebrities deciding to be more open about their mental health. And we uh, were a part of a program called the Well at Work program. And that initiative was about designing um, uh, digital interventions to help people in me- with mental ill health in the workplace. And one of those aspects were uh, building an intervention based around disclosure of mental ill health in the workplace. Interesting. Like how many people actually speak up about mental health at work? Do we know? Yeah, so uh, no, we don't know. Uh, some research that we've um, been looking into suggests about one third of people will decide to disclose and if, if we think about um, that, that's quite a small number if you if you consider one in five people over a 12-month period would have a mental mental health problem. Um, that, that's quite a small number. So one third of those would decide to disclose our researchers' finding. Right. And are there any particular reasons that people give? I mean, I guess we can imagine why. There's still a lot of stigma, but mm. is, are there uh, reasons that are more commonly given than others? Yeah, so as you mentioned earlier on, that there could be related to fear. So fear of experiencing discrimination or fear of losing your job. Some people say uh, one of the biggest barriers is actually um, fear of not being seen as strong or seen as weak. And um, some of our focus group testing has suggested that people consider themselves to be... um, a failure if they're not performing the same way as they as they see themselves. Interesting. Mm. We've got messages coming through on the text line. Someone says, my supervisor is so mental health positive, he let me have a day off for mental health. Mm. That was from Josh in Mannering Park. Another person, my boss made fun of someone he knew for, uh, you know, having mental health issues. I'll never disclose my diagnosis because of that. Mm. Another person, I told everyone in my interviews about my issues. I got a lot of rejections, but the job I did get was perfect. However, I do feel that being a friendly, bubbly young person may have factored into being seen positively. Elizabeth, can you tell us about your research? How did it work? What did you do? Yeah, so we developed um, what's called a a decision aid tool. And decision aid tools are normally used in um, a healthcare setting, like deciding what medication to take. Um, So we designed this uh, decision aid tool along with people who had mental ill health concerns and people who had disclosed in the the past. And... um, uh, it was based around a, a particular therapeutic approach called motivational interviewing where people are, it, it's really uh, client-centred or patient-centred where the person makes decisions for themselves. So a lot of the time you might use an app or a website and it says do this and this and this and you'll feel better. Mm. But it's we like to go under the theory where people will be willing to help themselves once they've made that decision for themselves. So it's about empowering people. So the tool... Um, decision aid tool has a number of modules, one of which is you would weigh up your pros and cons and um, allowing people to reflect on their past experiences and their thoughts, including their values and where they stand. Um, One of the most important factors, for example, might be, as the listener said earlier, they prefer to stay stay silent, um, which is is just as important as disclosing in some cases. So we tested this uh, decision aid tool in a group of 
just over 100 adults and um, we found that this tool helped facilitate disclosure and it also, um, which was a really interesting finding, that it it actually found to improve mental health, uh, specifically depression, anxiety and stress. So we thought there was something in that and we we looked a little bit further into um, uh, why that might have happened and um, uh, when we connected with a group within the New South Wales government called CIRA, we um, found that the same thing occurred when we tested this in the real world setting, not outside of a clinical trial. So, yeah. Oh, my gosh. And so people can still use this tool, right? It's still available online? Yeah, so the tool's called READY and it's a decision aid tool, um, uh, READY, R-E-A-D-Y-D-A-T.com.au and it's available, um, I'm sure you'll provide a link to it, but it's available there. It's free to use, which is always really important to our group. Um, it will always remain free to use while it's available. And uh, next steps moving forward, we're looking at how we can integrate um, some kind of training to help people maybe uh, role play on how they might make the, have those conversations, which are really difficult. Look, it's so interesting. We're getting message after message <laughs> on this one. Someone says, I just told my boss yesterday she was hugely supportive. Another person says, you know, I did eventually disclose my mental health and disabilities to my employer. As a result of my disabilities, I need to work 100% mm-hmm. from home, which has been fine. But then HR recently mm-hmm. found out and are now threatening my employment. Yeah. Oh, there's so many issues here. We, uh, You know, if you do want to read more, there's an article on the conversation where you can get up to speed with all of this. But Dr. Elizabeth Stratton from Sydney Uni, thanks very much for speaking with us on Hack. No problem. And that's all we've got time for on the Hack podcast for now. I'll catch you next time. Hack on Triple Jack.